Father, we um, just are so privileged to be able to sit with your son and his disciples on that night before he's crucified and hear him teach and hear his heart and hear their aching and questions and to to know what are those important things that you would desire to get across so that they might be able to thrive in their following after you even in the time when he would be absent, even in the time of great turmoil and pain and questions and um, doubts and, and hardship that came with his arrest and his crucifixion and his being in the grave for three days. Lord, it's such a privilege to sit in on this information. We know that we have this here in your word for the reason that you want us to know it and not just know it as information but know it for ourselves. We pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to teach us. Just as we're talking about today, please let your Holy Spirit lead us in truth individually this morning. Let it be um, for your glory, Lord, and for our good. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking this morning at the thriving ministry of the Holy Spirit. What makes a a secret weapon when somebody ever says, oh, but they had a secret weapon, or I've got a secret weapon, you know? What makes it important, you know, what makes it valuable? What makes it important? What makes it worth anything? It's special in a lot of ways because its development as a secret weapon is it's unawares to the other side of a conflict or maybe sometimes it it tips the balance of power in a struggle and bring thing, brings things to a, uh, an, a conclusion. Obviously, sadly so, and, and, but effective and, and necessary. The, in World War II, a secret weapon was the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They were the game changers in that war. Um, sometimes I love to hear kids, boys, playing in the backyard. We've all heard or seen this setting in which, you know, Two two boys are are a man you know playing war or something like that in the backyard. And one of them's got shot you. I dodged a bullet. Well, I got a machine gun. Well, I got a bulletproof vest. Well, I got a bazooka. Well, I got a bazooka proof vest. You know, <laughs> force field. You know, it's just kind of like all these secret weapons are coming out, <laughs> but they they just never knew were there kind of whatever is necessary for the battle at that time. Christ is letting us in on the powerful weapon, if you will, the secret weapon 
of the Holy Spirit. And this is in the attempt and in following him in being his witnesses, as we learned about. We ended our study last week, or, or part of our study was understanding that following Christ involves joining in the Holy Spirit's witness. We read these verses from John 15. But when the helper comes, he says, if you remember, this was kind of like the turning point in Jesus' teaching them. All of it was like, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's like, whoa, this is like, what's good about this? And then he turned the corner and said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So much of being on gospel mission in our daily lives is about being willing to take up that calling to be his witness to those around us. It may be, mean being a witness for the power of Christ to our coworkers. Uh, maybe just that power of Christ might be sharing how he uh, met you in your need, or it may be just living it out before them. It may be being a witness of the grace of Christ to our spouse and to our kids. Maybe being a witness for the reconciliation of Christ to our neighbors. None of that witness will matter for the salvation and sanctification of others if it were not for the witness of the Holy Spirit. It's only by joining with his witness for Christ that our witness has any power. This brings us to just how Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is a witness about him. And that's what our passage this morning is laying out for us. And it starts with these verses. Jesus continues and says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. As you recall, Jesus is telling his disciples of what will be the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his absence. And whereas earlier in the upper room, they're asking, where are you going? Here, because sorrow is filling their hearts, they're not asking him anything. They're bummed. He's giving us an on-the-spot report of how it's affecting them, and they're bummed. Sorrow has filled their hearts. And this brings him to share with them the bright side of his departing. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. 
concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. These verses open up with an idea that seems crazy to us. The idea that there would be something better than walking with Jesus side by side in his physical presence. But Jesus tells them of the better ministry of the Holy Spirit. When he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is foretelling what the Old Testament prophets talked about would come with the Messiah's full ministry. We're told of this in Isaiah 44.3 where God says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And in Ezekiel 36.26-27, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The point of this being a better ministry, and Jesus says it will be to your advantage, meaning the literally you will be better off. Well, better off in what context? What, what would make the Holy Spirit better than having Jesus personally with you? Well, specifically, the, 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 mo- the, the most specific context here is in being his witness to the world. And in the Holy Spirit being a witness with us. The Holy Spirit would certainly allow for a deep work to be done within the follower of Christ. This includes being empowered, comforted, assured of salvation. But Jesus is talking here about the disciples calling to be his witnesses in the world. As we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world, just keep in mind that it's not outside of our witness. Remember, He will be my witness and you will be my witness that we looked at from John 15. In the movie uh, Men in Black, Agent K is is, um, training a new rookie, Men in Black. They they fight aliens, you know, everyday stuff. Um, Agent K is training this new rookie, and I can't remember Will Smith's character's name. Jay. 
Okay, good. Agent K is training Agent J. Clear it, cleared it up there. Okay, good. And, and they go to get their weapons, and he pulls out this weapon that's about the size of a nail clipper, you know, and it's called the noisy cricket. And Agent J is like, what? what? Why do I get this little thing? What are you talking about, you know? And when he finally gets a chance to use it, he's like, you know, like blows up, every, you know, whatever it's aimed at, and he flies back like 20 feet and lands. And that's part of the joke of the movie is the noisy cricket, just like it's this huge weapon to use. And, and we, trend, we tend to treat the Holy Spirit the same way, doubting that he would have the power that Jesus did. But Jesus describes him as having a greater advantage in fulfilling being a witness than even Jesus had. We certainly showed, we see his power enliven men's witness of Christ on the day of Pentecost. We read in Acts 2, as a part of Peter's preaching about Jesus. And, and here's a real way to, to uh, keep people coming back for more. He says, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, being Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You know, that's a real way to keep people coming back. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we know that 3,000 people came to Christ on that day. And it, it illustrates for us the power of the witness of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it couldn't have been that 3,000 people heard Peter, but the message spread. They fell like dominoes. Anytime you think that it'd be easier if Jesus were just still here explaining himself to people, remember that he said that we would be at better advantage with the witness of the Holy Spirit. And the next thing you should ask yourself is whether you might be the missing piece in that witnessing combo. So he's given to us who have received Christ as our Savior. But he does have a ministry to the world through us. And this is the only place where it talks about the Holy Spirit having a ministry to the world. And we see it's a ministry of conviction. We read in verses 8 through 11, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world is to convict. This doesn't mean that the whole world is going to be under conviction. 
Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit's ministry as far as the unbelieving world is concerned. In other words, as far as the world is concerned, he will convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. But he's not saying there's going to be this worldwide conviction. Again, that comes with our partnering with the Holy Spirit, if he should see fit. When it comes to defining the term convict, it's to state that someone has done wrong, implying that there is adequate proof of such wrongdoing. Or to bring to light, to expose, to refute, to convict or convince. Could be translated to pronounce the verdict. Expositor's Bible Commentary tells us this. The word convict is a legal term that means to pronounce a judicial verdict by which the guilt of the culprit is defined and fixed. The spirit not only accuses people of sin, he brings to them an inescapable sense of guilt so that they realize their shame and helplessness before God. No wonder it's not appreciated very much, right? And it's your witness that the Holy Spirit brings that conviction through. You want to say, don't shoot the messenger. You can understand why Jesus says, if they hated me, they will hate you also. Sometimes it's because of what God's doing on the inside. Recall, this was a large part of the reason why Jesus wasn't liked very much. He brought conviction. And the Holy Spirit can do so anywhere in the world at the same time from the inside out. And notice that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, not ours. Okay? It's not our job to turn up the heat or the emotions in order to to try to make someone feel convicted. Our job is to bring our first-hand witness testimony to God and to Jesus' work and let the Holy Spirit work. I I love the accounts of Jonathan Edwards as he would uh, preach his sermons on, say, um, sinners in the hands of an angry God or something like that. And he describes... Uh, the accounts describe people holding on to the posts of the, uh, the meeting tent that they were so, under so much conviction they were swore that the ground was going to open up and swallow them down into hell. And Jonathan Edwards has been described as reading his sermons like this. It wasn't him. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. There's three things that we're told that the Holy Spirit brings conviction into the world concerning, and it's sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus goes on to explain to us in the following statements what he means by these terms. The specific sin that's being described here is unbelief in Christ. He says, concerning sin, and this is not sin like plural, all sin, it's concerning the sin because they do not believe in me. 
a, a writer named Ritterboss, what a great last name, um, says this, the world's deepest misery and lostness do not consist in its moral imperfection, but in its estrangement from God and its refusal to allow itself to be called out of that condition by the one whom God has sent for that purpose. What is the unforgivable sin? Resisting the work of the Holy Spirit as it comes to believing in Christ because the person can't be forgiven if they won't believe in Christ. Jesus himself said about this in his conversation with Nicodemus back in John 3. He says in verse 18, whoever believes in him, speaking of himself, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then verse 19 of John 3 highlights an aspect of what the Holy Spirit would later convict the world concerning um, which continues on in our passage this morning, and that is righteousness. When Jesus adds, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. As I said, this goes into the fact that the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness. And Jesus says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. This is what is meant by the Holy Spirit convicting of righteousness caused by Jesus' leaving. The light had come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light. Just generally, righteousness is defined as doing what is right or doing what God requires. It's the Holy Spirit's job now to convict the world concerning it. And it's Christ's righteousness and man's horrible lack of it that is brought that brings it to mind. Or let me say, that what is brought to mind by the Holy Spirit is Christ's righteousness and man's horrible lack of it. If a person's not on the side of the creator of the world, well, let me, let me just say, still speaking of it's Christ's righteousness, Christ came and ministered on this earth for three years. And his death and his resurrection took all of three days out of the history of the world. But yet we can't get away from it. We can't get away from his presence. We can't get away from the fact that one man was putting himself on display for three years in one small location in all of the history of this earth and the world can't get away from it. The Holy Spirit is still convicting the world of righteousness and the Holy Spirit was taking it because Jesus was going to the Father. 
So if a person is not on the side of the creator of the world, then he's on the side of its defeated ruler. The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment. And then he says, because the ruler of this world is judged. I like how the NIV says, the prince of this world now stands condemned. Like a person that's been convicted and sentenced, but maybe it might be the type of thing where they're told, okay, so on this date, you will show up for, to begin your detention. Satan exercises a dominion that has an expiration date that no one but God knows. He's already been judged and condemned. So what does Satan's judgment have to do with the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world? Let me ask you this. Thank you for a second. Have you ever seen the movie where this bad guy is trying to take over or destroy the world, okay? And there's this other guy that's good and strong and determined to stop him. And maybe he's the only one that can do it, all right? And there's this woman that's involved, and she's contributing to the cause, but really the large part of the plot is that the hero is determined to keep her safe also, okay? You're like, of course I've seen that movie. It's like three quarters of the movies that are out there, right? Do you realize that that's God's redemption story sowed on the hearts of mankind? And even unbelievers cannot get away from telling it over and over and over again. The very fact that the epic battle of good versus evil is constantly in the back of our mind is reflecting the fact that we are in the midst of the single most battle of good versus evil. And how do we walk out of those movies where evil wins? It's like, ugh, something's wrong. Something hasn't been put back together. I'm convinced that's also mankind's acknowledgement that the ruler of this world is judged and the rightful order of things is for him to be going where he deserves to be. And the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings, which Jesus had a ministry of during his time on this earth, is that that is happening. But the conclusion is also The Holy Spirit brings to some people's realization that the head honcho of this present world is going down and everybody that is associated with him is also going to lose in the end as well. Guilty by association is what the Holy Spirit makes the connection with there. A.J. Gordon writes this, he says, An American with an English gentleman was viewing the Niagara Whirlpool Rapids when he said to his friend, come and I'll show you the greatest unused power in the world. And taking him to the foot of the Niagara Falls, he says, there is the greatest unused power in the world. And his English friend says to him, oh no, my brother, not so. The greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit of the living God. 
And this is the, that type of power that Jesus is talking about that no one can duplicate. No one can do this work in someone's heart. Not in a heart that's dead, we're told, that's blind, that's unresponsive, dead in its trespasses and sins, just as all of us were. We should be grateful for the power of the Holy Spirit in the world, but remember, we are his witnesses alongside of him. We are Jesus' witnesses alongside of the Holy Spirit. We may not know where he's going to convict someone of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but the deal is that we have to be his witness to find out. Right? God's got that way all throughout Scripture. It's like the children of Israel, the priests had to get their foot into the Jordan before it would part. That's how he works. So moving on to our third idea here, Jesus' followers, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to Jesus' followers is that of illumination. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I know that's what you guys, many of you guys might feel that, wish I would say that about 30 minutes into a message. I still have many things to say, but you cannot bear them. No. That one's for free. Um, <clears throat> he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I'm going to get a little technical here for a second, okay? Use some Asian some words here. Um, there's a difference between God's work of revelation and his work of illumination, all right? You're going to get JD's flavor of Christianity here, okay? I used the word illumination some, some time ago, and, and a, friend, a friend pointed out, he said, said, you might want to explain that a little bit. It sounded kind of New Age cultish, like, you know, we're looking for illumination, you know? Revelation is God's revealing of truth that was not available before, Okay? J.D.'s flavor of Christianity is revelation has happened in God's word. Illumination means to shed light on truth that is already there, to turn the light, the light on, to illumine, illuminate the word. Illumination, I believe, is what the Holy Spirit does for us today regarding God's revealed truth. So I don't, take, I don't hold it against anybody when they're like, God revealed something to me the other day. I'm not sitting there going, no, he illuminated it. You know, that's, and that may not be what the person means, or it may. But our verses here, I believe that Jesus is both speaking about the revelation work that's being taken place in the furtherance of the writing of scripture with the disciples. And he's also speaking also about the illuminating work that the Holy Spirit does for us today. And that work of illumination was also done for Jesus' disciples 
um, with the original giving of the Holy Spirit, we're told that they more fully understood Jesus' teachings after the Holy Spirit came, just as he does for us. In his ministry of illumination, the Holy Spirit is our guide in truth. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. It's a significant statement here in verse 13 that the Holy Spirit will guide his followers, Christ followers, in all truth. And just get technical here for a second. We hear into all truth and we think destination. That the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth and we think, oh, I've arrived. I'm, in, I'm now into all truth. But the term here means he will guide you in the context, in the sphere of all truth. So it's a walking with the spirit of truth being guided in all truth. Okay? Some of you are like, I don't, I don't get the difference, so that's all right. Don't worry about it. Some of you are like, thank you. Um, it's a significant statement here. And being this, the spirit of truth means that he is about truth. He's bound to truth. And, and this is why the verse is explaining the fact that he does not speak on his own authority, as we heard Jesus say this so often in the Gospel of John, as God's perfect prophet for the world. In terms of revelation of God's word, this verse is a promise that the Holy Spirit would inspire the writing of the coming epistles and the books of Revelation and Acts. But for us, the Holy Spirit illuminates God's word and his ministry is vital for us to apply it to our lives. We cannot do what we do as a body of believers if one of our values is to apply in everything, to apply the truth to daily life. We cannot do that without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that will guide us in truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into all types of truth. We're told in Romans 8, 14 through 16, that he teaches, or his presence assures us of our full adoption as God's sons and daughters as we read. For all who are led by the Spirit are, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You guys who are studying Galatians in small group, you're like, okay, I think I'm, I know what that means. But you received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then the spirit gives us that assurance. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Many passages also, like Galatians 5.16, teach us that it's in living in step with the Holy Spirit that we're able to be strengthened against temptation, where it says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Still, um, with all of the great work of the Holy Spirit that goes on in the church today, and, and this might have been a 
more of a cynical statement by A.W. Tozer, um, or, or, but it, but he, A.W. Tozer wrote something um, in this present century, or I'm sorry, last century, uh, in the 20th century about the church. It was a sad statement where he said, "If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference." If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, he continues, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would have known the difference. The Holy Spirit is our guide in truth. And we as leadership and, and I know as people become excited and engaged with the idea of us as a body of believers being on gospel mission in our daily lives, we're praying for the guiding work of the Holy Spirit in, in making our body of believers an impact on this community in personal relationships, in corporate ways. And we're praying for the work that is done would be his growing work in us and his convicting and saving work among others. When Harvest was formed, and forgive me if I'm making assumptions here. When Harvest was for, formed, there were many who desired to be able to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. This instead of maybe getting bogged down in the protection of traditions or, or just maintaining the same course. Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into a new impact as his witnesses in our daily lives. Our belief is that he wants each of us to be active in the spheres of influence that he's given us. And, and we're going to be seeking for how we can best equip you for doing just that. And ask that you would be seeking the Spirit's guidance in how God desires for you to be on gospel mission you can be like lord i don't know what jd means when he keeps saying this gospel mission in our daily lives but will you just be preparing me or will you just be showing me will you define it for me this only works as much as each person is listening to the holy spirit themselves On a personal level, let me start with this. Be in God's word daily. Be in God's word daily. If you're like, I don't get anything out of it, let me just give you four things to ask, okay? It's called putting on your spec, all right? It's an anagram. As you read God's word, is there a sin I should forsake? Is there a promise I should claim? Is there an example I should follow? And I'll repeat these. Is there a command I should obey? As I read God's word, if I'm just trying to like teach me something here, Lord, is there a sin I should forsake? Is there a promise I should claim? Is there an example I should follow? Is there a command I should obey? Sin, promise, example, command. Putting on your speck. Bottom line, 
we only accomplish his work as a body as we are individually following him. Just say shortly in closing, certainly the illumination ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. He says, he will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father is mine, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The The Holy Spirit only declared what was of Christ. And he only does that today. And all that Christ taught and did was of the Father. Do you see the unity of the Trinity there in the message there? And also allows us to see how the Holy Spirit was bound to the teachings of Christ in the areas of revelation as the apostles further wrote and taught and Luke the historian described and, and expanded on the ministry of Christ that we see in the Gospels. So that's in the ministry of revelation, but also in the ministry of illumination. He does this for us today. He expands on what is of Christ. And that's why for us to be glorifying Christ, for us to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit as he illumines the truth, guess what we need? We need God's truth. Because that's what he's going to declare. That's what he's going to work with. That's what he's going to, to, to explore with us and to expand on. And we need God's truth corporately and we need God's truth personally. That's why we must be in God's word individually. Or we won't be led. So in the same way as we move forward and tell you of what we believe God has in mind for us as a body and how we're moving toward that, it should be all for Christ's glory. This is not the glory of harvest or the glory of any other thing or any other person. I think this quote from Warren Wiersbe best sums up the work of the Holy Spirit as we've learned about it today. It includes the fact that we are called to be his witnesses alongside of it. And it says, there can be no conversion without conviction. And there can be no conviction apart from the Spirit of God using the Word of God and the witness of the child of God. There can be no conversion without conviction. There can be no conviction apart from the Spirit of God using the Word of God and the witness of the child of God. Close in prayer. Father, thank you for your truth. But Lord, your truth isn't enough. That's what you've told us here. Please make your truth effective as Hebrews tells us, able to divide between soul and spirit and discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Minister to us by your Holy Spirit in that way, Father. Lord, I pray for each person of harvest, for you to draw them close to you, for them to get out their word, 
and for you to teach us vibrantly, for you to, to expand not just our understanding of you, but, but our understanding of what you've called us to in this walk with Christ. And I pray, Lord God, that you would begin to enliven a vision within each of us of what it means to be on gospel mission in our daily lives. Thank you, Lord, for giving us something better, even better than Jesus here by our side physically. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.